Welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. Today, I am delighted to have another guest with us. This guest, I found her on our ADHD community on Instagram. And as I started to follow her on her Instagram feed, then I realized she has a podcast. Then I started listening to her podcast. And I just love her straight shooter kind of attitude that she has and she gives so much value in the content that she delivers with her podcast and she also has a Facebook group for women and even the theme of her uh, podcast is amazing so without further ado I am going to introduce you to Tracy Atsuka and I hope I pronounced that right Tracy you pronounced it perfectly I'm I'm delighted to be here Kathy so thank you for asking me you bet. Tracy, uh, give us a little bit about your journey at, at a thousand foot level when it comes to ADHD and how did you find out? What happened? Well, I was diagnosed very light, late in life. My son was diagnosed at 12 and I was in total shock because I had always considered my son brilliant. You know, he was one of those kids that whatever subject he was in, you know, into like, he was really into World War II at one point, And he knew every battle. He knew every general. When he was into baseball, he not only knew the players that played today, but he knew all the statistics, the batting averages, everything of players who had played since baseball was first, you know, founded. And so I had always thought ADHD means that you're not very smart mm -hmm. and you're all over the place. Um, and so I thought initially it was a mistake. And so we took my son to, once he was diagnosed, we took him to a psycho psychologist who supposedly specialized in ADHD. And I think it was the second or third session. I didn't much care for her, to be honest. Um, the second or third session, she sat my husband and me down and she said, my son wasn't there, thank God. And she said, your job as his parents is to reduce his expectations so he is not disappointed in life. And I remember thinking, what the hell? Mm. So we never went back. We fired her. But that's when I started to do a lot of research. And it took me about eight months of research for me to even realize that he got he got ADHD from me that I had ADHD um and it, again it was because I didn't know what ADHD looked like and you know I had been you know successful in school um I went to college I did well in college well I almost flunked out my first year but that's a whole nother thing I wanted to be a dentist and I didn't have the aptitude at all but once I switched to political science in German I started to get really good grades so I did well ultimately did well in college I went to law school I went to graduate law school I practiced law I had a high-end women's wear company 60% of our business was Sachs Neiman's and Nordstrom um you know, I've, I've done all kinds of things. I also practiced um, real estate. I was a broker for almost 17 years, and I did a lot of work with dozens of banks when the market crashed. That was probably one of my most favorite jobs. So I, I thought that if you have ADHD, you can't possibly have done well in school. And, you know, 
it wasn't until I discovered that one of the traits of ADHD, well, I knew it was hyperactivity, but I didn't realize that hyperactivity could also be drivenness and intensity. Mm-hmm. And once I figured that out, that and um, the trait of interpersonal intuition, this idea that you can walk into a room and you can kind of read it, even though you don't know any of the people there, like yeah. I'd always felt that I had that and I didn't know what it was. And so it was those two traits, you know, this idea that drivenness is a form of hyperactivity and um, that I could walk into a room and read it, that that was, you know, could be part of ADHD. That's when it suddenly dawned on me that, oh my gosh, he got his ADHD from me. And I still remember I was in the gym and I was working out and it was my second reading. And when I say reading, it's in air quotes because at the time I could only do audiobooks. Um, it was my second pass through of Driven to Distraction, um, which is basically the ADHD Bible, right? Rady yeah, yeah. and Hollowell. Yeah. And the first time I went through it, I just, I didn't get it, but it was that second pass through where they linked, I think this is what it was. They linked the drivenness with the hyperactivity where it just became so clear that all these questions I had always had about myself, I've always felt different. I've always felt like, you know, there was just, from the time I was little, First of all, I always had all these businesses going at one time. I was completely entrepreneurial and I'm just really intense, but I never realized I was intense. You know, I was intense. It wasn't until I was 30 <laughs> and we had um, some friends over and it was a, a new couple and, you know, that I didn't know very well. And she looked at me and she said, I love your energy. You are so intense. And I remember thinking, me? Intense? I'm like the most relaxed, easygoing. Like I could not even see what she was talking about. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's your norm, right? To you, that's how you've always been. I, I get that. It is. And I, and I think that what we have to realize about ADHD is all of our traits are different. All of our brains are different. So just because that's my pattern or, you know, how I experience ADHD certainly doesn't mean that the next woman experiences ADHD the same way I do. I'm not inattentive, and that looks completely different than hyperactive. And I think as hyperactive goes, I'm really hyperactive. It wasn't until I would say probably my mid-40s that I started to the hyperactivity of the body lessened a little bit and I started to get more of the hyperactivity of the mind. Mm-hmm. That's and, what I have, yeah. Yeah. And that's when I started to think, you know, all these things I used to be able to do and I felt so confident doing, I am now starting to struggle with what is going on here. Um, and then the more I did around the research I did around ADHD, I realized that when your estrogen levels drop or they start bouncing around, that directly affects your dopamine. So medication does not work for me. It makes me anxious and uh, it just makes me, it, it doesn't work at all. But what really does work for me is exercise. So, you know, I'm one of these people that I cannot even get out of, well, I can get out of bed, but I get out of bed to go work out. And that immediately calms down the hyperactivity in my brain, but it also calms down the hyperactivity of my mind, um, of my body, so that I can actually sit and focus and get done what it is that I want to get done. But I am very ambitious and I have always been very ambitious to the point where I have had friends say, you make me feel bad about myself because you're always doing, you're always moving, going. 
And that's not always good either, right? I know. Oh my God, I so relate to that. (laughs) There's a point where I'm a bit of a risk taker. So I I like your word, uh, driven. Mm -hmm. So I think I want to use that word because I've always considered myself a risk taker. So I'm always for the, what's, what's behind that wall? What's behind that door? Yes. Let's go find out what's going on there. And, you know, moving across country, changing houses all the time. Like, yep. let's go experience something different. And my friends do tell me the same thing that Kathy, can't you just sit still for like a year and do nothing? And to me, I, I can't even comprehend that. I'm like, but that's so boring. Yeah. And it's, it's like, and it sounds the same. It's like, we were born with this mission to really live. Yeah. I mean, I joke around all the time that I, you know, when I go out, (laughs) when I'm done on this earth, I don't want to go out all peaceful and, you know, perfect and whatever. I literally want to go out, you know, with every ounce of life having been lived. Yeah, where there was nothing left, and I str- and I have been like this since I think it was, I was in second or third grade when I was so afraid. All of a sudden, I was just terrified something was going to happen to my parents, and so I went to the nurse and I said, "I'm really sick. I need to go home." Um, and so I got to go home. My mom picked me up. We went out for lunch. You know, that's exactly what I wanted because I just had this fear that there isn't enough. There's not enough life. And I've always been like that. When I turned 18, I remember I wasn't happy. I was depressed because I thought, oh my God, I'm already 18, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just feel like there's so much I want to do and there's so little time to do it. Um, So let me ask you the question. Mm -hmm. Uh, That that quote that goes, feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah. So it almost is like, I, I can see that because... Um, you know, your education, your real estate, law, business, entrepreneur, like woman, wow. Like as you were saying all of this, I'm like, dang, this is a lot more than I, you know, it's in there. So all of that comes with a bit of a fear and you did it anyways. So if somebody's listening to this conversation, how do you tell them to get out of that? And, And by no means this is giving advice, but Just shed some light around that whole comment or that quote, feel the fear and do it anyways. Well, I think that most people believe that you are either born with confidence or you're born without it. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Mm -hmm. Confidence comes from action. It comes from doing. And I don't believe in fear. I don't think there is anything, there is no such animal. You know, you either succeed in what you're trying to accomplish or you don't succeed, but you learn a hell of a lot so you can succeed next time. And I think that when we get really embroiled in fear, especially if we're inattentives, um, the fear gets bigger and bigger. And what I have noticed is when I fear something, for example, I feared live video, just the thought of it, I hated it. And so what I did is I forced myself, well, what I did is I built guardrails by signing up for two programs that would require me to go live on video, you know, like Facebook Live, Instagram Mm -hmm. Live, every single day for 30 days. And as much as it was terrifying, what I always notice is the feeling that I feel after I've done what I feared, and it always feels good. I always feel like I'm really proud of myself. 
I conquered that and now I can move on to the next thing that I fear. And you do those lives so effortlessly. So now to hear the, the, the backstory behind it, wow, I'm amazed. Oh yeah. <laughs> I just like her natural on them. Like, oh, she's got it going on every time. No, I, I really, it took me probably two years. So what I did is I, I signed up for all these programs, but it was all about the tech, right? When it got to the point where I had, so I had every piece of equipment, I knew everything to do, but I wasn't going live. And so I realized I needed some sort of program that I would pay money for. Um, so it would force me to do it where we didn't talk really about the tech. What it was about was just getting out there and doing it. And the funniest thing, Kathy, is literally after day two, I was like, this isn't that bad. This is actually kind of fun. <laughs> and I had made such a boogeyman out of it, you know, for years. So the flip side of that, now knowing what you know about that, what would you say that, that quick way to get past that would be for some of us that are... You know, I hear some people that are like, oh my God, you do a podcast. I'm like, you know what? My podcast is not perfect. I record some of my stuff over Zoom. Sometimes I'm driving and I'm recording. But <laughs> the fact that I'm putting it out there, that's my accountability. And I, I feel like there's this mission in me that I need to put out this voice out into the internet sphere. Well, and Kathy, the podcast, I think, is the perfect example because like you, my whole thing was, oh my gosh, it's not perfect. It's got to be per. I'm a completely recovering, well, recovered, no, recovering perfectionist. Um, I think a lot of us with ADHD, we have this aesthetic. Um, things need to look perfect. Things need to sound perfect. Um, and that is ultimately what stops us from moving forward. And so if you can notice, I, what I did with the podcast, like you did, is I built in guardrails. I knew that I would probably disappoint myself if push came to shove and, you know, I needed to show up every week and that was what I was so worried about. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if there were no guardrails, I would probably say, oh, you know what, we'll just skip this week. We'll go back next week. And pretty soon I wouldn't be going back at all. Right. What I did with the podcast is I knew that if I had accountability, if I could build guardrails, then I would continue because I'll disappoint myself and not show up, but I would never do that to someone else. So all I needed was one person that was listening. And within the first week or two, someone commented and I thought, you know what? She's my gal and I am going to make sure that I show up for her every single week because it's making a difference in her life. So my advice is if there's something you really want to do, figure out a way to build accountability where it's not just you letting yourself down, it's you letting other people down as well, because that really works for me. And then the second thing I would say is really pay attention to how you feel when you do what it is that you wanted to do, because when we're proud of ourselves, that's the best feeling ever. And the reason we feel so good is because we did something that we didn't think we could do or we were really worried and fearful of doing, but we did it anyway. We stared fear in the face. And guess what happens then? 
your dopamine fires. So you right. learn how to fire your own dopamine by doing those scary things. And the minute you do one and you realize how that works, then you do another one and you realize how that works a little bit more and you keep doing it so that that becomes your new normal. So if I wake up and I work out and I'm still feeling kind of, Ugh, I know I have to do something that I don't want to do that I'm either completely bored with or I'm fearful of. And I know that if I do it, all of a sudden I feel better because I'm firing my own dopamine. And right away then that motivates me to do the next thing that I need to do. So it's a way that I have learned how to motivate myself when my dopamine isn't cooperating because mm -hmm. either it's something boring that I have to get done or it's something that I really don't want to do because it's kind of scary. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you just step into it. It is what it is. Step into it. And yeah, that, that after effect is, is one that I always tell people is another thing is when you have these successful moments, write them down, journal them. Yes. Because we forget. Yeah, we do forget. Like yesterday, actually, I was, I was doing a support group and, you know, I asked her, I said, when was a time when you accomplished something? Amazing. She said, I don't know. I don't remember. And, and I hadn't worked with her in the past. So had I had worked with her in the past, there's a list. We would have come up with a list. Yes. So, and whenever you don't remember, go ask a friend, go ask your loved ones because they will remember the times when you shine the most and they will quickly recall it for you. And you just hold on to that for dear life and you lean into the next thing that you're trying to do. It's amazing when I see people when they say, well, I don't know how to do this. And the more you dig, the more you dig with someone, the answers are all right in there, right? The, the strategy is in there, the how to do it, and the creativity of how to get it done is in there. So it's, it's amazing. Let me ask you something around your professional side and on the, the, the law side, if, if we mm -hmm. will. One of the things I struggled the most, I found towards the end of my uh, corporate side was this urge to interrupt people. And it didn't happen out of me being rude. It happened out of, you know, we're sitting with a bunch of executives and my background was marketing and digital marketing. So I'm ideation kind of a person. So the minute that you give me a problem, I'm going to think of 20 different ideas of how we can tackle it. But then if there's, you know, five other people in the room who are smarter and whatever. It, it's hard for me to just sit there and not, you know, wanting to speak up because I'm so passionate about this. Did you ever feel that interruption was a challenge for you? And if not, I mean, how did you even manage it? Let's talk about that. Um, Kathy, I hate meetings. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like meetings, they move so slowly. Uh, you could probably get 10 times as much, you know, done in the time span of a meeting. Um, and this idea of having to wait your turn or, you know, lots of times you're in meetings with people and you don't even agree with anything they say. So to be honest, I have basically decided that if I can get away from, I, I love one-on-one -on -one, and I don't even mind when there's three of us, but when it gets any bigger than that, I just choose not to participate. And I think that I didn't, to be honest, I didn't have a huge problem with meetings because 
I am very exuberant. I have tons of energy. Like you, ideation is my thing. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, when I get in with a big group of people that are all talking at the same time, I tend to pull back. And maybe that's what was going on with me. I mean, the only kinds of meetings that I can think of that would have really mattered in, you know, all my careers would have been um, meetings when I was an attorney. And I still remember on Monday mornings, we would all get together and everybody would talk about their cases. And I just absolutely hated them. And so I probably, rather than throwing up all over people, I think I tend to have the opposite um, reaction where I just kind of step back and I don't say a whole lot, which is, which is hard to believe. I know. (laughs) Well, no, that makes sense too, because it takes that much energy and effort. So you retreat, you freeze, right? Like you're, you're going back in there. And, and that's one of the things that I, that I like to, and it affects us. It's, it affects performance. It affects, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the perception of people, of people towards you and well you know if if this person is talkative over here why isn't she contributing in meetings actually that's a good point that you bring up and that one for those uh, HR management um, executives that are listening to this this is exactly one of those cases where when you create a supportive environment for people with ADHD and in this case you know with with Tracy where she retreats where with me I go all in with my foot in my mouth and all of that. It's because the environment is not being supportive for us. So then the conversation is how do you make it supportive so everyone gets a turn? And part of it, um, to be straight up, is that in the law, I had working memory issues. Mm -hmm. I would know my case inside and out. I mean, I was the one that they would send into the depositions because I could read people. And I knew, you know, we had a, a, um, uh, what, gosh, what do you call them? The guys who, um, a trial lawyer. You know, we had a trial lawyer from the Department of Justice who came over to work with us. And I was super young then. And he, he was the one who said, you would be great in trial work because you can read, you can read a jury, you can read witnesses. Um, but the area of law that I was practicing was securities regulation. And I just didn't, the reason I was interested in it, the reason I got a master's in law, in law, (laughs) in securities regulation is because someone told me this is the hardest area of law. Oh, And that is what was appealing to me. But if I really think back on it, where I should have gone was criminal law because that's what I always wanted to do. I wanted to do trial work, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think that I could handle it emotionally. I am a tough SOB, (laughs) but I'm very tough emotionally, but not if you're talking to me about um, women and children and abuse. And it's why I could never be a therapist or a psychiatrist. I just, you know, I'm the one who's moving forward. That's positive. That's upbeat. I can't get into that sort of stuff just because And I'm sure it's my, that's how my emotional dysregulation shows up. And I've been like that since I was a kid. My mom tells me there'd be these Disney movies and some girl's cat died and I'd be devastated for a week. So it's kind of silly, you know, versus, you know, I am not affected. You know, people say say something to me that's rude or nasty. I'm like, 
you know, <laughs> I could care less. But when it comes to, you know, emotional uh, stuff that has to do with, you know, animals, children, women, you know, just cruelty. I just yeah. cannot take that. I, I don't think I, I can count on one hand how many Oscar movies I've seen because I just can't take that sort of, that's just not my area at all. I'm no good. And I was worried that that's what would happen to me in criminal law. I thought I'd last five years. And I, I think I was also afraid of, you know, I am just generally, naturally just happy. And I was afraid that that would be taken away from me if I figured out what the world was really like, you know? <laughs> Amazing, Tracy. I, I love your sense of self-awareness to, and also your boundaries and, and, you know, where you begin and end in these things and how you, you know that this is who I am and I don't want to let go of this and this is what I want to do. Have you always been like that or was there a tipping point for you or part of your research, whichever? Um, I've always been like this. I think my mom's a lot like me too. Um, I mean, I remember in high school, I was just a brat. And <laughs> I remember in high school, I had a problem with one of the girls in our friend group and I literally walked up to her and I said, don't you ever give yourself, wait, what did I say? It was so obnoxious. Don't you ever give yourself permission to talk to me again? And I turned <laughs> around and I walked out the door. I mean, really? <laughs> I love it. So I, I have always been very confident in what I'm confident in. Um, but in the same vein, Kathy, I also could tell that some people just, and for good reason, just thought I was just so full of myself. Now, yeah. what I do want, what, what I have really learned about ADHD, though, is I always temper everything I say with the acknowledgement that I did not suffer from trauma as a child. I used to think, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstrings, you know, just get it together. Everybody has something. Um, and it wasn't until I, I have a good friend who's been a therapist for 30 plus years and she specializes in trauma. And she taught me a lot about trauma and how that rewires the brain. And so I think a lot of, if you have trauma and then you have ADHD, I think those are the women, men, children who really, really struggle. And so I always want to acknowledge that I have had it easier. I did not struggle in school. I, I mean, I did, but I learned all these incredible workarounds, right? I, like I said, I almost flunked out of college, um, which is very common, first of all, for, <laughs> for people with ADHD. Yeah, there's just so much stimulation and so much you want to do. And I'd leave everything to the last minute and blah, blah, blah. So if you are dealing with trauma, you have got to to address the trauma before you can ever expect to, you know, really make um, substantial inroads um, in the, you know, ADHD and what will work for you. Thank you for saying that because there's the reality of, you know, the, the being positive about it, accepting mm -hmm. it, moving forward, all of that. And then there's the reality of healing and mm -hmm. self-acceptance and a whole bunch of other things that need to happen. And I, I, I see that, you know, when I, when I, someone calls me and says, Hey, I, I want ADHD coach. I have to really assess that to say why, and what are we trying to do? And the more I talk that I've had individuals where I'm like, this is therapy work. 
you need healing work first. There's a lot of uh, other things that need to be addressed by professionals that are, you know, in specialized in that field. So talk to me about that, about self-care. So when you're going this fast and at this sonic speed, Tracy, how do you give yourself that self-care to hone in and kind of ground yourself with everything that's going on? Um, well, as I said, I, I've got to work out. If I don't work out, I just, I, I'm half as productive and I'm just blah. I don't feel good when I don't work out. And you know, the interesting thing about that is I started seriously working out when I was probably about 16 years old. Um, I just knew that I needed it, but I didn't know why. And I remember my dad saying, you know, I would join a gym or something and he'd be like, well, I wonder how long until you're not, you know, like he'd make some sarcastic comment. My, yeah. my dad is very sarcastic as am I. And the thing is my dad was really into working out, but I was very impulsive. And in fact, the, the big joke in our family is we lived in a town at the time called Burlingame and I was called the Burlingame Blab because my parents, no one could tell me family secrets because I would just, bl you know, <laughs> blurt them out to whomever. So um, I, I just knew from the time I was young that I needed to exercise. The second thing is I really believe, especially with ADHD people, 90% of your happiness is who you marry. I married a man who, you know, he's just so patient. And um, a lot of times I feel guilty because he is the one that does the day-to-day -day stuff. So if it were up to me, and we have two kids, one of them's um, in New York City at NYU. She's finishing up her senior year. And then my son, who's 17, he's a senior in high school, and he was just accepted to NYU, the same program my daughter's in at Tisch. Um, and if it were up to me, we wouldn't eat because I forget to eat. I mean, it can be four o'clock and I've got a headache and I'm like, what the hell? But he, he literally, he makes me lunch every day um, and sits it right in front of me to make sure that I eat. He's the one that gets dinner going. I mean, of course I do help, although not always. Um, and, you know, I love to cook. So I'm the one who does the big dinner parties. He's the one that does the day to day. And he always, from the time the kids were little, he would do all the administrative paperwork for the school. I would do all the fun stuff. I would, I don't think anybody throws better parties than, you know, ADHD moms. <laughs> but yeah, and I've seen your pasta factory nights. I'm <laughs> every night. So that doesn't happen every night. <laughs> no, it does not at all. It's kind of, you know, when I feel like it. So partnership is so important. Now that said, anything to do with the house, um, you know, anything aesthetic wise, any, you know, kids shopping, clothing, anything like that is me, but he does all the kind of grunt day-to-day -day work, which I hate, but he seems to, you know, enjoy. And, you know, the big joke is if he was married to someone like him, he would have the most boring life. So, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, you're feeding off of each other, absolutely. Right now, we have um, we have two exchange students from um, France that arrived on Thursday, and they're going to be here for a couple of weeks. And you know, Rich is like, really? And I'm like, look, we've done this how many times before? And you're always happy afterwards. You know, in fact, my son Marcus is named after an exchange student who came and lived here with us 20 some odd years ago from Germany and Marcus big Marcus is my son's godfather 
And my son went to Europe this summer and just kind of traveled around and his home base was, you know, big Marcus's house. So, you know, over the decades, we, you know, we're really good friends now. So every single time I have suggested something and he's kind of like, uh, he's always happy that we, we've done it. And so we balance each other out in that way. You know, he's going to be the reliable one and I'm going to be the fun one with all the ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, what, one thing that, 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 and now I want to take it back to, and I love how, again, it goes back to self-awareness, yeah, understanding the boundaries and the roles, especially in your marriage, who does what let's define, let's kind of divide and conquer. So really leaning into your support network, in this case, your husband and understanding where you begin and not trying to wanting to do everything. That's the other thing I hear a lot is, well, I have to do this. I have to do that. Well, did you have a conversation? Can you guys divide the roles? So love that, that real life example of when it, it is. Well, okay. And there's, there's so much, I believe there is so much sexism in ADHD. Mm-hmm. I mean, give me a break. When is the last time that you heard a man with ADHD, you know, just being devastated about the fact that he couldn't keep the house, you know, or he couldn't make dinner every night. I mean, it's, it's BS. Mm-hmm. You know, women are supposed to, you know, what am I trying to say? There is this idea that because we are the ones that have the kids, we're the only ones that are going to do anything once the kids are here. Yeah. And somehow we're better at it. And it's not true. We're all better. You know, we're, we're all good at different things. Yes. And I love the, the, the fact that, and sorry to interrupt, because mm-hmm. you're just hitting the spot for me right now, <laughs> is not taking on everything yourself. Yeah. And delegate, delegate, delegate. And it's okay to delegate. We've had a housekeeper since we were married. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really kind of, I'm, I, I, my brain is cluttered enough. I cannot have mess around me. So yeah. I'm a real nut about, in fact, I think I probably drive my family crazy. You know, I am constantly clean this up, put this away, you know, <laughs> I can't handle it. And I know that if I didn't have someone to help me with that, I'd just be resentful. So, you know, and it's not, we used to have someone twice a week. And then when the kids got older, we had someone once a week. And now it's every other week. So it's not a lot. But to me, that is the best money we spend. Yeah, I had um, for a while there when I was working, there were days where we do meal delivery. Because yeah. I couldn't come home and decide, just deciding oh. what to cook would drive me crazy. So here's this packaged, pre-packaged uh, meal that wasn't cooked. I had to put it together still, but at least the decision was made for me. So on times when things get really stressful, there's too much going on, we do that. We do meal delivery programs. Or just having someone, like actually my mom is my go-to, is mom. I need to clean the house. Come over. And the two of us just because she's also very clean freak. Oh, you're so lucky as well. So between (laughs) the two of us, we just kind of do this top to bottom. But then I also have to tell her, don't move things because if you move things, I won't remember where things are. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really having leaning into that support system is important. So the, the one thing around juggling it all, Right. So you, you had the kids, you had the businesses, all of that. What do you think was your secret sauce in being able to juggle it all? Uh, 
uh, you know, this isn't really fair because not all of your listeners are going to be like me, but I have, and, and at that time I had incredibly high energy. I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's probably a little bit less. I have to be pretty excited to really, you know, blow it out, but I had really, really high energy and I don't need a lot of sleep. Um, I am not one of these ADHD women who struggles to sleep. My problem is getting into bed because there's so much I want to do. But once I get into bed, I'm out like a light. And I've always been like that. And I need very little sleep. I mean, I can be just perfectly fine on, you know, six hours, sometimes even, you know, five. Um, uh, I want to give you something that... You know what it is, though? You just actually hit hit it... sweet spot there because there's some of us um i there's times where i where i uh suffer from just chronic fatigue i want to call it it's just like i cannot move i cannot get out of bed i am hyper uh in my mind but not physical i don't get that yeah so for me uh what was happening before was this comparison of me and other moms especially Uh. being late in life as a mom I had my baby when I was 40. I would Mm -hmm. see all these women that are like cooking and Instagramming and doing this and the other. And Mm -hmm. I was driving myself crazy going, why can't I do all of that? What is wrong with me? So I went into this well of despair around Mm self-comparison. And then when I look back and see some of these women truly have that extra energy that I didn't have. And I've learned to accept that. I have decided now to really, I reduce the number of things that need to be done. I simplify my life. I actually was, was going to do another podcast on this around decision-making and how many things do we have to really do in a day where, you know, our list of to-do is so high, but do we have to do all of that? I've come to terms that if I can't, you know, do the laundry every day, I'll do it when I get to do it and not being hard on myself. So I appreciate your, your honesty around you have high energy, which is like, oh, send some over. <laughs> you know what, Kathy, too, though? Everything I do, I love doing. That is yeah. huge because yeah. when I think about when my kids were little, I mean, I was crazy. I think about, you know, the parties and how our, I mean, <laughs> kids were always dressed to the nines and... But for me, that was the most fun I have ever had in my life. And not everybody's going to feel that way. And that doesn't make you a lesser parent, you know? We all have these different areas that we're good with our kids in. And I just happen to be, I mean, I joke all the time. I wish Instagram would have been around when my kids were little because then I'd have pictures of everything, you know? I was good at that because I loved it and it was so fun for me. But Kathy, if you asked me to go sit in a sandbox with a kid, hell no. I mean, thank you. Know, that you. Just thank you. Wasn't my thing. And and being on their level and just talking for hours with them. Um, I no, I mean mine was it was just different, right? It was more, okay, what are we gonna do today? Let's go, let's see this. Let you know. It was showing them things that they or introducing things to them that they could experience. And I think every parent, let's say mom, every mom does it differently, but just because it doesn't look like what Instagram shows, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, that mom could be, you know, not 
not with her kids on a level that's really important because she's doing all this crap for the world to see. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but everything that I have done, I really, you know, even the things that, you know, there's some parts of real estate that I don't love, but in general, I, I really enjoyed and loved what I'm doing. And I have discovered that the women that seem to struggle the most are the ones that are doing all these things that they don't enjoy doing, but they're doing them because they think they should be doing them. I mean, some women should go to work. They should not stay home. They're much better parents. They're much better spouses. They're much happier. And there's nothing wrong with that. If, if we were to say that to a man, it would be like, yeah, whatever. Yes. That, that, it's such a great point. And it's those expectations that we put on ourselves. Though the thing that I want to circle back to is doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And finding your passion, right? So, and it's uh, and and I can hear it in your voice that everything that you brought up, there's that passion in it, and that's so important. And and it's if anything for our listeners in this conversation, is sit down and figure out what lights you up in your heart of hearts, and are you doing those things throughout the day, throughout the week? And if you're not, that's when you do that self check in of really figuring it out because the other end of it is. Having someone like Tracy who sits there and just oozes passion of all this stuff because she's figured it out. And I think all of us can do that. I believe all of us can do that. It's just a matter of slow the hell down in order to just sit with yourself and figure it out before you, you know, throw in the towel and do self-comparison and all that stuff that we do. So my friend, this has been, I could like talk to you for hours and hours and about so many different things. Cause I totally, now that I've talked to you live, I'm like, Oh my God, I relate so much. <laughs> and also at the same time, it's, I see differences. I see the similarities. So I love how, you know, each of us are, you know, we have this, this amazing brain and we're using it at different capacity. So if anything out of the past, how many years have you been into this, uh, the ADHD community now? How long have you been holding your Facebook community and your podcast? Um, the podcast, wait, October, November, wait, what are we in now? February? Mm. No, it's only just over a year. I, I created it in, you know how you have to do like four episodes when you, when you go out. And so that was in October of 2018, but in true ADHD fashion, (laughs) I didn't do anything with it until January. I think it was January 22nd of 2019. So just over a year. And then the group, the group was probably August of 2018 and that's sort of blown up too. Mm -hmm. So you've hit a hit sweet spot. So tell us uh, for, for those of us that don't know, how do we find you on there? Um, well, you can find, you know, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of the, I, I can never remember all the names. I give called, you the name of your show, please. Um, it's called ADHD for Smart Ass Women. And so the whole idea, and the Facebook group is the same thing, but Facebook won't let me use ass. So I have to use a asterisk asterisk. The whole idea behind it was I was so frustrated because when I discovered that, oh, and I was diagnosed, I had ADHD, I thought, oh my God, this is so depressing. I would shoot myself in the head. And this has not been my experience living with this, not knowing I had it. Right. And I knew that there were so many brilliant women out there who had really done a lot with their lives. And I wanted 
I wanted to be focusing on strengths instead of weaknesses, because the thing that we know about the ADHD brain is that if we are in positive mo- emotion, that will motivate us forward. The minute we get into negative emotion, we can't even get out of bed. Screw that, right? Mm-hmm. So what I discovered, though, is that, you know, I started this with ADHD for smart ass women wanting women that were, and we have all these women, you know, college professors and, you know, nuclear scientists and lawyers and doctors. And I wanted those kinds of women. Um, and we have, you know, a lot of those kinds of women. But what I realized is I have now never met an ADHD woman, woman who wasn't brilliant at something. And so your charge is to figure out where does your brilliance lie? Because there's something that you're brilliant at. And so, you know, it started out wanting those kinds of women. And I realized that, oh my gosh, every woman with ADHD has so much to contribute. Absolutely. And I I love that. I love this space that you hold. It's so positive. I'm all about strengths-based coaching, strengths-based recognition. And I mean, it just keeps, it's just good in every way. And naturally when you're doing it, it's great. And I love having that community where you can lean on each other so that you're not feeling alone so that, you know, you're not trying to over explain it to a friend that doesn't have ADHD. Yeah. Like that's just, you know, annoying. So thank you for that. And if final parting thoughts that, that you may want to share with any of us, anything that, that comes to mind. You know, that it is all about your strengths. Figure out what your strengths are and then get yourself in the right environment. An environment is your career. It's your specific job. It's your, you know, your spouse, your partner. If it's difficult, like I hear this all the time, oh, relationships are so difficult. I don't think they're that difficult. If you're dating someone and it's already hard, (laughs) it's not going to get any easier. Right. You know, and, and I'm talking about not just a dating relationship, an intimate relationship, but also friendships. I mean, if you're always feeling like you have to apologize and explain yourself, go find some different friends because those aren't your people. Go find your people. Amazing. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Tracy, for this opportunity. I am honored. We will, oh, maybe we can do another session another time, but thank you again. I appreciate this. And, and, um, We'll be in touch. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Don't forget to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn at Kathy Rashidian on LinkedIn. Follow me on Instagram and at uh, proudlyADHD underscore Coach Kathy. Uh, make sure to make a comment. Send any questions. I'll send them over to Tracy and maybe she can reply back to us. So uh, until the next episode, I will be here and gathering more information and research for you all. Have a great day, everyone.